So now instead of saying yes to everybody, I say no to a lot of things. And that has tailored down my life to a point where it's manageable and it's joyful because I've got the energy I need to do the things that I love the most with the people I love the most. And I feel a lot calmer and more focused. And I'm not putting my energy in places or with people that don't deserve it. Welcome to the Thriving in Chaos Project. Certified divorce coach and credentialed mediator Paulette Rigo invites you to grab a favorite beverage, find a cozy seat, soothe your soul, and take a listen. This podcast was created and inspired by our courageous journeys, love for connecting with others, and having meaningful conversations that teach, impact, and heal through sharing our stories. In each episode, Paulette will be joined by some of the most experienced and compelling experts in all things divorce and transformation. Listen to prepare and thrive through the toughest chapters as we reveal our hardships, celebrate our lessons learned, and see the future clearly with encouragement, hope, and joy. Leave feeling empowered and prepared to approach life and maintain our dignity no matter what. Each podcast episode focuses on sharing real conversations from real life situations. Isn't it time you thrived? Welcome to the Thriving in Chaos Project. I'm Paulette, your host, and today I'm honored to have Erica Ann England join us. She calls herself a happy co-parent usually, although those are her words, not mine. She isn't perfect. Well, who the heck is of her two beautiful children? And she spent 15 years as an attorney, a professional mediator, a law professor, tech founder, before she became the chief strategy of support pay the nation's only platform for helping parents manage child support between themselves. Welcome to the show, Erica. It is such a pleasure to be with you on the Thriving in Chaos podcast. I appreciate your time, and I've wanted to have this conversation for quite some time. You and I, you and I, I just made it forward, you and I, connected last year through Sonia of Divorceify when um, this sort of came to my attention about your strategy of fusing together the genius of your legal background, your mediation background, and your tech knowledge. So can you explain the necessity of this platform and why it's making such a difference? Of course, I'm just going to update my resume first and write genius because (laughs) I'll be right back. Uh, The support pay is a, a platform to help parents manage child support payments and expenses between each other. So for anyone that has children, you know, they are expensive. You're constantly spending money on things. And after divorce, parents have child support orders in place, but then they also have all those expenses like the soccer team and the dentist and the art class. And because parents share those expenses, it can get overwhelming really quickly to try to keep track of those expenses on their own, to have a 
low conflict conversation with their former spouse about payment of those expenses and to keep records of those zillions of expenses. So support pay was started by a Silicon Valley CEO who got divorced herself and figured this, I can't keep like spreadsheets and receipts and talking to my former spouse every single day about money. And it's just, it turned a good divorce into a really high conflict relationship. She thought there must be an app for this and there wasn't. So she created it. And so support pay was born. We have about 40,000 users internationally right now that are managing millions of dollars of child support, spousal support, and payments through the platform. Mm. So how does the app itself work? Parents usually use the app for two different things, base support and additional expenses. So the app will pop up a notification that child support is due, or it will allow one parent just to send a little notice, hey, child support is due. And then the other parent just clicks a button back to pay it. It's almost like your own private little Venmo for anyone who's mm -hmm. used Venmo um, that nobody else can see. And it keeps perfect records that are legally admissible. So it for ongoing support is quite simple, comes up, push pay, done. When parents have expenses, that's a little bit trickier because parents will often, you, you know, in the divorce world, um, money and communication are two things that often lead to divorce. So when people have to communicate about money after divorce, it becomes high conflict really quickly. So what this allows a parent to do is just scan in a receipt and shoot a copy of it to the other parent with a request for payment. The other parent can pay it or dispute it. And then if there's a dispute, it goes through a conflict resolution process. Most of the time it's resolved, but if it isn't, that item is set out of the general accounting. So it doesn't offset any future expenses. Mm. So if you think about everything you buy your children in, in a month, and if you have multiple children, that's you know double, triple that. It allows a parent to not have to keep receipts, to manage spreadsheets, to particularly to not have to be in constant communication with their former husband about money, but only be communicating when they're ready to. And I mean, I know I, if I haven't eaten or haven't slept and I get a message from my former husband that's completely nice, but just not something I want to hear, I will snap back at him and be so irritated that he interrupted me at a time that wasn't good for me. And it's not his fault. It's just a message coming across. So we really got to eliminate that feeling that, it, you know, at any given point, your, your former spouse is going to come to you asking for money, or you have to go to them asking for money. And at every time, you know that it could be a conflict. And walking around post-divorce, Every time you spend money on your kids, thinking a conflict can come up at any point because of it is so unnecessarily stressful for people. We just didn't want that to be the primary defining element of a parent of family post-divorce. So support pay really, even though it's a financial ma management platform, why I love it, the, the conflict junkie in me loves it, is because it's more than anything else, it's a conflict resolution tool as much as a financial management tool. And isn't that the beautiful part when 
you can diffuse the emotional journey and maybe not negate it, but at least dial down the volume of the conflict. And you did use the term high conflict when it starts to become combative and both parties aren't seeing eye to eye and their conversations aren't necessarily congruent. Or as you beautifully mentioned, you might get a message and it was perfectly um, kind and respectful, but the timing wasn't great, or you're just tired, or you're in the middle of five other things, and it's just one more thing to put on your plate or have to deal with, that does diffuse the um, energy and the conflict, correct? Quite a bit. Our parents are 90% more likely to pay child support and expenses than parents who don't use the app. And our belief is because it makes it so easy to pay child support and expenses, but also because it keeps conflict minimized. And so as long as conflict is lower, we know that parents are gonna comply with court orders more. And the minute that somebody's out of compliance, that conflict starts to spiral. I always, I think of conflict as contagious. It's quite hard to be around a little bit of conflict and have it not spread. So we're, we're really proud of the work that we do, not just to help parents manage money, because that's important, but to keep conflict among families lower. I have two children of my own. I'm divorced, and I'm so tenderhearted toward every child of divorce in this country, and I want to give people a tool to make a tough process a little bit better. I think every child deserves not hearing mom and dad argue about money. The worst thing that parents can do is fight about anything in front of their kids. But when it comes to money, it makes them feel like they're not worth it or they're just um, between them, particularly if it's something like sneakers or ice skates or, some, or something they either need for sports or something they need for school, it makes them feel uncomfortable. And if it's something like a necessity like food and the rent or mortgage, it isn't something typically kids are mature enough to wrap their head around. It's confusing. You agree? Absolutely. I mean, bless children, but they're narcissists, right? So they, any conflict that goes around on around them between their mom and dad, they will immediately make that conflict about themselves and they will tie their worth directly toward the conflict. Even though, of course, the conflict has nothing to do with my daughter. It's not that she's not good enough or we don't love her or we wouldn't be fighting if she wasn't here. It's about us as adults not acting appropriately. But she and children, you know, most of the time up until about teenage, when they see at these circumstances and feel the conflict, they internalize it. They make it about themselves. And even if it seems to us like they look fine, they're just carrying around. They're, they're adding a little rock to their emotional backpack every time they have that conversation or they're involved in a conflict between mom and dad. And then they just carry that invisible backpack around. And it breaks my heart for my own child and for everyone's. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that the apps have become more and more commonplace. 
I don't remember the exact year that the app store became, I don't know, the norm, <laughs> but now it seems like you can find an app for everything. In fact, I'm even developing one for Better Divorce Academy for clients of mine to be able to locate all of their resources under one roof. But now it seems like if you put in co-parenting app or parenting app or divorce tools in the app store, there's more and more and more and more of them, which I say, you know, throw my hands up in the air. This is great. Any tool that we can use to diffuse that conflict, stay organized and stay out of court. Well, I'm all for it. But the uniqueness of support pay, how does it differ from other co-parenting apps? Support pay is the first app that is built on a financial platform to handle finances. So when we think of co-parenting apps, uh, Michael Daniels of FAIR is, um, that's one of my favorite co-parenting apps, just to give him a plug. These are designed to manage communication between parents. And while some of them allow expense tracking, because we're designed as a financial platform, 100% of our A to Z functionality is managing finances, the confidentiality and the security of banking really through the app. So why we're different is because we're made just for that one issue of finances. We don't handle calendaring or communication between parents about schedules, um, pick up and drop off. We only handle child support, spousal support, and expenses. And we look at it like this is really a financial issue and it should be handled on a secure, confidential, highly functional financial platform. Mm. So they for parents that have a co-parent app that they love, keep using it. Mm. That's fantastic. Support pay is going to be complementary to your co-parenting app, and it's going to give you a whole different set of functionality. Mm. Thank you, Erica. That's beautifully put. Because some people have thought that it's a one-stop shop, that you can just, you know, transition. And I love your description of it's your own private little Venmo just between two people, between documenting and the financial security of the transfer of funds back and forth. Whereas the co-parenting app is who's picking up whom, um, scheduling and that kind of stuff. They're really two completely separate entities. And it makes sense to keep them separate because when you're dealing with money, it really does need to be financially secure. Absolutely. And the records need to be kept and presented to the court in a certain manner so that they're legally admissible to the court. We're really proud of the system we have where parents can download and present legally admissible copies of their records at any given point. If you've ever tried to dig up a receipt or find a bank statement from nine months ago, you know the frustration of, you know, just, just having to purely having to like find and track every little dollar on your own. So there may be apps where you can make a payment um, or ask for a payment, but this is the only one that provides that comprehensive service of storing the information in a legally admissible format as well. 
And if for anyone that has ever not been to court on a child support and expenses dispute, what it looks like is each party hands the judge a big spreadsheet. And that spreadsheet shows every expense that they think should have been paid or was actually paid. And then there are canceled checks and receipts and bank records attached as exhibits. And a judge goes through these spreadsheets line by line in open court with attorneys standing there charging $475 an hour. So like that's the alternative for parents that don't have a really simple, affordable way to manage their payments and expenses. Oh, I know firsthand. I remember those days of um, hour-long hearings and sessions and also with clients over the last um, many years seeing the uh, the rummaging through pages and pages and boxes and boxes of documentation and all I could see and do see are dollar signs flying out the window um, because of the massive amounts of paperwork and disorganization. I am jealous that this did not occur, um, you know, not long ago, um, back when I was starting. So what year did support pay, um, what year was it founded? Did you say 2020, just last year? No, interesting story, really, actually. Yes. I'll make it a little bit quick. So Sherry Atwood, the founder of Support Pay, was a CEO, Silicon Valley, knew how to code, but ran the marketing department in a huge organization there. So she had all of the skills really from the ground up to build, code, develop, and market this app. And she did most of it by herself. Then when she got ready to move into a funding round to get the finances she needed to expand the business nationwide, she took on money that was offered to her, which is what a lot of startups do. Oh, you would like to give me a whole bunch of money? Great. I would like to take that money. Um, Most startup founders don't know that every dollar you take is a direct ownership component that you're giving away to an investor. So if you're taking too many dollars from too many investors, you can put yourself in a position where you're a non-majority shareholder in your own company. And the investors can get together and say, well, we have a lot of investments and we need the trillion dollar company and this isn't it. So let's liquidate it immediately and cut our losses. That's exactly what happened. So the company was shuttered and the IP, which is essentially the um, like the secrets for how support pay works, was sold to an anonymous shell company. Sherry Atwood turned out to be the owner and buyer through that anonymous shell company. And that's how she got back in and got all of her IP back. (laughs) Well, I have such kudos for her. Um, yeah. So she, she says, you know, it's, it's so typical for a first startup to fail. And for her, um, she feels as though she had her first startup fail. And then this second iteration beginning in 2018, I think, even though I came on in, in 2020, she's learned all of those lessons 
So we, we've been through Jason Kalkanis's accelerator, which is one of the most prestigious startup accelerators in the nation. And then currently we're in the Morgan Stanley Innovation Lab, which is one of the most prestigious accelerators in the world. So we've had the opportunity this time, not only to not make the mistakes because she made them before, um, but to have guidance from literally the top people in the world in creating the second version of the app. Well, speaking of mistakes, right? Isn't that how we learn? We rarely learn from the things we do quickly and efficiently and things that just come effortlessly to us, but we learn from the things that we screw up on and we make mistakes of and we overlook and we just allow other people to just give us maybe not the greatest advice, but looking back at your own divorce journey, you know, we often, and mine too, I mean, all of us, let's all hold hands, we're in this together. It's like one big family. But when we look back at our own divorce journey, once we're out of it and on the other side, we often have these little aha moments about the mistakes that we made. What mistakes did you make? And would you change anything? Wow, that's such a, a a deep question and um absolutely i am great at making mistakes i am the best i do it all the time i've been a business person a law professor a radio show host i'm a parent i'm divorced um so mistakes are my jam in my marriage the biggest mistake that i made was gatekeeping our childcare responsibilities and being the person in the family that knew better. I always knew better than my former husband. Like whatever he did, it wasn't enough. It wasn't right. I could do it better. I guess I'll just do it myself. Everything depends on me. And it ended up putting us in this dynamic that was almost like a parent-child dynamic. It was so unhealthy. And if you're interested in how I got out of that, dynamic and how we have such an amazing relationship now post-divorce. I have an article on LinkedIn about why I refused to celebrate Father's Day last year on July 17th. So anybody can go and look that up and see my journey. That was my marriage mistake. And I didn't want to make the same mistake in divorce that I made in marriage. And many people, I think, feel as though divorce is some magic wand where you're no longer going to have the dynamic that you had before. And that's just not the case. Many people, like I'm sure with your clients, you see at that point, they begin to realize, oh, I don't want, I don't want to be in the same relationship with this person. I don't want to be in the same relationship with myself. And I have to work on both of those things. Post-divorce, I would say, um, oh, goodness, again, like so many, probably the biggest mistake I've made post-divorce is feeling like, what's a good way to say this? It might be common for women, just taking on too much, not being able to say no to things. We have a really limited emotional and physical bandwidth post-divorce. I had a one-year-old that I was still breastfeeding and a three-year-old. So like those are ages where children are pretty active and life is not easy to be the parent of a one and a three-year-old. 
and I was running a business and I was teaching at the law school and people would ask me to join a committee or to do something for the preschool or to go out with this friend that I didn't really like. And I always said, yes, I always felt like, you know, that's a good determination of my worth that people are asking me to do something. And so I should do it. I didn't realize how much I was depleting myself over things that at the time were less important and how once I began to learn how to like, you know, I, I give every, every request that somebody gives me like, want to go out to dinner? Will you join this committee? Uh, Can you handle the sets on the classroom play? For me, it's every single request is hell yeah. If my first response is absolutely, then I just tell them, yeah, or it's hell no. Okay. This is, and I don't say, I say it more nicely than that, but that means I don't try to talk myself out of the no. So if my first instinct is no, I go with no, I don't go, oh, this might make me look bad to the school if I don't, whatever. Or the third response is not now. And that's where I can say to someone, this is something I'd love to be involved with. But at this moment, I can't pick it up. Can you please circle back? So now instead of saying yes to everybody, I say no to a lot of things. And that has tailored down my life to a point where it's manageable and it's joyful because I've got the energy I need to do the things that I love the most with the people I love the most. And I feel a lot calmer and more focused. And I'm not putting my energy in places um, or with people that that don't deserve it. So tell me uh, about the organization that you started last year called I Promote Peace. What is it and why did you do that? And I want to learn more. Oh, I would be delighted to. Um, This was during the summer and it was during COVID and the murder of George Floyd happened. And my children, even though we don't own a television, they get exposed to things in the news and they heard about the murder. They heard about the Black Lives Matter movement really gaining momentum. And I did not want to take them to any protests because I felt like at that point, you know, it's just not safe the way that COVID is. Um, And I have to figure out a way to help them channel their desire to help somewhere else. So we made a website, I Promote Peace, and we put on there resources that we like for children to help promote peace and find joy in diversity. I find as a conflict resolution expert that peace comes quite naturally to children. They have an innate sense of justice. And so we thought we would take the angle of, um, you know, not saying we're working for or against any particular movement, but just to say, let's give children some tools to learn how to promote peace. So more than anything, it was just a project for my children to show them that when there's something happening in the world that upsets you, there are things you can do to take action. And if we can't do the thing we want to do, we don't have enough money to donate huge amounts of money. Well, what will we do with the time and the energy that we have? Because my children, even though we're divorced and have never had a a ton of money, they have every possible privilege in this very stable 
household with a fantastic dad and just great health and a wonderful life. And they know that. So this was a great opportunity. I promote peace for them to share that little piece of themselves that wanted to do good in the world. And, and that's, that's what we did. So anybody can find it at ipromotepeace.com. We are working right now on um, amazing Muslim women tic-tac-toe. So it's like a tic-tac-toe board, but instead of X's and O's, you circle the name of a woman on the board and then find out a little bit about that woman. So it's just a cute interactive way to learn about people. Wow. It is a adorable site. I'm assuming those fabulous kids are either yours or uh, love the site. And my goodness, Erica, this t-shirt, I want one. It says, I promote play. I promote love. I promote, and then there's a long line. I guess you can fill in what you want. And the next one is I promote peace. And then another line where the child would put their name and then their age. And it's just great. What a one. I'll get you one. It comes it comes with a marker so that the child or the adult can write in what they promote in addition to to peace. So um, that it's it's that way of being able to really personalize it and engage the child in the in the movement. So I'll get one out your way. Absolutely. Love it. Well, if you are not inspired by Erica England, I don't know what's wrong with you, but this beautiful, uh, physically, uh, spiritually, and um, just, um, you know, deep example of fine parenting, fine legal expert, um, a mediator that really um, has studied um, advanced conflict resolution and is now taking those skills and creating a platform for families uh, to be able to promote peace, not only with an app, but with a organization co-founded with her children is quite the inspiration. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share your personal journey and your professional journey and uh, your mission to really create a better place for families to survive and thrive after, uh, well, during and after the divorce process. How can people learn more about you, your work, and um, just uh, follow you? It is such a delight to be here with you. Anyone who wants to learn more about me can find me on LinkedIn, Erica England, and at supportpay.com, S-U-P-P-O-R-T-P-A-Y. Um, if you're interested in Support Pay, you should know there's a free version and a premium version, so you can always try it out for free. Plus, we give Support Pay premium free to anyone who's low income or has a domestic violence restraining order. Mm -hmm. So you can, of course, find out more about how we can help you there by emailing me, Erica, E-R-I-K-A, at supportpay.com. Of course, we're on all the websites. You can look us up at I Promote Peace or Support Pay on all social media. And there is nothing we love more than hearing from other divorce professionals and parents going through divorce because their stories really help stabilize and inspire me. Mm. It's been such a joy to be in your lineup of really distinguished guests in the divorce world. Thank you, Paulette. 
It is an honor. Thank you, Erica. It is women like yourself that inspire and empower women to know that they're not alone, that it does get better, and that it is possible to co-parent with dignity and maintain your dignity throughout the process. And your next chapter of life can be even better. Thanks for tuning in. And make sure if you want to talk to us or ask us questions, you can always email us at thrivinginchaospodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.